just embrace, we embrace what you put on Pastor Doug's heart. Yes. Lord, as far as repentance and just, um, we just allow you, Lord, to put that, that magnifying glass of your Holy Spirit and through your word on our hearts, Lord. And even those things that maybe we don't even recognize that they're barriers in our life that really separate us from that abundant life that you promise us, Jesus. Mm. And we just ask for it through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do that, Father, that you would unplug those, those wells and we would be able to have that uh, rivers of living water flow from us once again, Lord. Just continue to move on our hearts, God. Give, we give you total permission, Jesus. Yes. Move you, us, God. transform us into your image. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If I sound funny this morning, I got one sinus that's kind of grenaded on me, and <clears throat> but uh, by the grace of God, I'm here, and I want to just push through this because I know that God's bigger than this. Amen? Amen. I do want to start by saying one thing that's uh, kind of housekeeping here is some of you may have been getting some messages from the administrator through the vineyard, my name, saying, I need you to contact me in a discreet little box over here kind of thing. Well, here we go again. Do I need Todd to come up here again? <laughs> I'm just kidding, Todd. Yeah, anytime. Thank you, brother. I, please, again and again and again, if you get something from me that just doesn't look right, it's not. If I want to contact you, it's not going to be in a secret handshake or some secret club or a secret box. It won't be. I will call you personally or I will talk to you personally. It won't be through any kind of back doors. The, the internet is just getting so wonky. And, 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 and these guys, it's so frustrating. They come in and find ways to get in and, and just cause mayhem. So again, if you're getting an email or a text from me that says, hey, hey, I'm in the Bahamas and I need more money, don't send it. You can send me to the Bahamas, but don't send me money to the ba I'm just kidding. I have no desire to go to the Bahamas. But I do want to say this. Friday night was off the hook. Rochelle, when she shared her testimony, was amazing. And then Bill gets up there, and it just took it to a whole nother level. But I do, and I want to thank you, Bill. Got an earpiece. He tried to grab the head, head mic again. This guy's wild, wild Bill. But I want to tell you this just real quickly, because... A lot of times we look at that's the bar, and well, I, my testimony is this, and this testimony is that, and, uh, and then we be quiet. One of the most awesome testimonies I've ever heard, I've heard testimonies all over the charts, testimonies where people had shot people, and God redeemed the situation, but we were in a group, and it was a group through... Um, all the World Christian Center was doing this uh, ministry class, um, Layman School of Ministry, and we're sitting and, and, and we're talking through some of this material, and everybody had an opportunity to share their testimony as it's going around, the, but the key was in one minute. One minute testimony, which is something to really ponder. One, you meet somebody on the street, you have one minute. Can you get the point across that God is bigger than your problems? that God offers hope for you. So here we're going around the room, and, and these testimonies were just getting crazier and crazier. It started out with, yeah, 
I knew a Hell's Angels guy. Next person was, yeah, I used to ride with the Hell's Angels. I mean, I just, I drug 40 guys out of Vietnam with one finger. I mean, it just went on and on. I'm just going, why, why are we going? And the, the very end, there's this young lady, and she's just silent, tears flowing down her cheeks. They get to her, and they say, well, what's your testimony? And she says, well, there's never been a moment that I didn't know Jesus. I grew up in the church, and I've always stood in awe of how amazing. I, she just went down this test, and everything just went Everybody has a testimony, and your testimony is custom fit for whoever God brings into your life. Bill will be able to speak to people that we probably couldn't connect to, but I'm telling you, Rochelle, same thing. You, same thing. You, the same thing. You, all of you, God will bring people into your life that your testimony is custom fit for that person. Don't ever forget that. Amen? Okay, that was free. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do too. I want to finish today talking about repentance and what true biblical repentance means, looks like, and how it can affect our lives. If, if I start kind of fuzzing off, just throw something at me and get me back on track. But I want to start by saying, if you haven't heard all of this, I, I don't want to get into a bunch of review today because I really just want to drive this home and really just see us have a moment, okay? So if you want some review, go to the church website, look it up. It's all there. You can listen to it, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'll hit a few things as we move on, but let's just dive into this, okay? As I was preparing this last part, I was thinking about my story and how as a young boy, about 8 to 12 years old in that range, uh, we would go to a camp up in Canby, Oregon called Canby Grove Christian Center. And it was the same camp that A.W. Tozer preached in. It was the same camp that A.W. Tozer's and other giants like him of the faith walked and preached and held incredible revival meetings. You could feel that, you could feel that anointing of just how the power had been there. This tabernacle you went in was, as a young boy was gigantic. It had huge, huge square timbers. It was giant. I don't know if it's still there today. They may have built something newer because it had been there since the 30s. They constantly were adding little wings on it and stuff. But one of the things that, as a young boy sitting in those meetings, I remember they had the lights on and they'd have the Reverend Klein Peter up there preaching with just hellfire and brimstone. And, and how many of you remember those days? It was, it was fiery. It was passionate. And it would get to that point where your heart was so stirred, man, you were running to the altar screaming. I mean, you would run up. And I, I just remember those days of people running to the altar, repenting of their sins, giving their heart back to Jesus. And during those moments, now, I'm not old enough to have been in an A.W. Tozer meeting, just, just so you know. But there were other men of God and women of God that shared there that was just off the charts. It had a profound effect on my life. So one of the things I realized that as I was thinking about that was how much was said during those revival and uh, evangelistic meetings about repentance. That seemed to be the central focus because repentance is indeed involved in the cleansing of sin. Whether one is being born again or you're simply going back to the altar confessing, Father, I blew it. Will you forgive me? 
That was a huge thing. Unfortunately, I don't think many people today understand the true biblical meaning of repentance and the process of repentance. Yes, I said process because that's what we're going to talk about today. Repentance really is a process. But what happens is I think because we have this incredibly misunderstanding about what repentance means, it causes a lot of people to miss the transforming power that it generates. Repentance. You don't, you don't hear that a lot today. You don't go to a lot of churches that, re, that, that just preach repentance. You don't. You hear a lot of sermons that want to make you feel good. You hear a lot of sermons that play worshipy songs and, and, and you know, I mean, that's, that's what we experience. But that's not God's heart. God wants us to repent and come and return back to him. And as we move into this year, we better be nailed down on this one because we're going to need it. And I really do believe that we are in the cusp of revival because it is breaking out other places. It's coming, but it's something that we're going to have to contend for. I believe, I wrote here, believers often struggle with the repetitive cycle of sin, and I believe that's due to a lack of understanding about what repentance really means. And unbelievers, unfortunately, can think that they're born again. They can think that they're saved when really they may not be. You know, statistically, we got involved in a Billy Graham crusade. It was Franklin Graham, but my wife and I got connected, and we helped with Medford. And I got to sit down with one of the main guys there, and I said, honestly, statistically, where are the numbers at? When people are led forward, they pray the sinner's prayer. <clears throat> What's the statistics of them actually becoming true followers of Christ? And he just put his head down. He said, unfortunately, it's maybe less than 10%. They get excited. They hear something new. They come forward and they repent. But for some reason, they walk away from that repentive moment. So they're missing something. Something is being misunderstood. And that's where I want to go today. Dutch Sheets calls, and I, I love Dutch Sheets' material and what he shares. He shares that repentance is a process. So put your, put your, your ears on for a moment, get your whiteboards out, whatever you need to do, but think of repentance in terms of a process. Repentance is actually part two of a three-part process. Part one, we've been nailing. It starts with part one of repentance, and the process starts with godly sorrow. It starts with remorse. It's that God-intended sorrow that leads us to repentance. God brings that on us. The Holy Spirit comes along. He reads our mail. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he begins to put his finger on things that we're not doing right, places we're standing where we shouldn't be, addictions that we shouldn't be having. And he begins to press those on our heart. And if we, if we surrender to that God-intended sorrow, it, 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 that regret, that feeling bad, it will push us towards repentance. But repentance, actually, part one, again, is remorse. You might write that down. It is godly sorrow. It is regret. And, and some, some think of repentance as, as remorse. It isn't. Being, being regret, sorrow, remorse, I wrote, is a different word in the scripture. It's this Greek word, metamelomai. And it simply means, it's the first part of this process, and it simply means to have sorrow or great sorrow. So if we have sorrow or great sorrow for our sins... We start the journey of true biblical repentance. It's not just feeling sorry. It's not just feeling regret. 
How many have run into a situation where somebody said, I'm sorry, 400,000 times to you, but they keep doing it? I'm sorry. Kids will do that a lot. You, you take them to the office. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All the way to the office. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you truly sorry? Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They go back in the gym. Smack, it happens again. <laughs> Something didn't quite happen there. We read in Matthew, we talked about Judas. He had sorrow. He had that metamelomai. He had that, 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 that sorrow, but it was a sorrow that just led to regret, but it didn't lead to repentance. And what happened was, what happened was, he went out and he took matters into his own hands and he tried to atone for his grief and his sin with his own blood, right? That's what we talked about. Then we, we didn't really talk about Esau, but Esau's another great example of this. Esau wept over selling his birthright. He sold his birthright because he was hungry for a bowl of stew. Obviously, in the scriptures we read, he felt remorse, but he couldn't find repentance. How do we know that? Hebrews 12, 17 says, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Wow. You know, the repentance, that, that, that change of mind that Esau sought, really was his father's, not his own. What Esau was trying to do was get his dad to change his mind. Dad, will you change your mind? Can I... Can I get it back? It had already been given away. This showed that he truly had no repentance. What it showed was it, it, it really revealed his materialistic heart. That's what happened. I've seen people come to the altar and weep. All of us have seen people come to some form of an altar and weep and cry and have that moment. Yet we've watched their lives. They quickly go back in to the world they came from. Why is that? What are we missing? Pastor, what am I missing? What am I missing in sharing this? I want to make sure we get this right so that when, when the winds of adversity blow, we stand and we stand firm and we're not pushed down the road farther. You know, I had a good friend. His name was Michael Becker. Mike Becker, we called him. Michael was his legal name. He was a street evangelist. He was a street preacher. The guy was... This is back at the tail end of the Jesus movement. The guy had that one of those beards that was like this, you know. And the guy was huge. He had a big old barrel around him. He was just giant of a man. And man, he could preach fire and brimstone. But I remember Mike's, in one of the times I got to hear him for the very first time, I realized he's not giving an altar call. He's not giving an altar call. Later I asked him, so he was preaching for two nights. Later I asked him, I said, Mike, how come you didn't give an altar call? He said, I, I never let him in easy. I want them to know what they're getting into. At first I went, well, that's kind of rude. But then I understood his heart. Because if you look at Charles Finney, it's been said when Charles Finney would preach, people would run to the altar and he'd say, not now, brother. You're not ready for this. Please go back to your seat. Wow. What? Charles Finney, man. Both barrels would come out. People running to the altar, and he'd say, not now, please go back to your seats. You are not ready. That is such a foreign thought to most of us. Why would he do that? I believe that he had discerned that they had not yet come to a full revelation of repentance. A full revelation of repentance. Which jumps us to part three. What? Part three? 
but we started on one. Why are we going to three? Because this is what most people do when they repent. They skip a step. We'll get back to it, but I just want to make a point. Most Christians believe that repentance also means to turn and to go. How many have heard that? To change your mind, to go another direction, repent. It literally does mean that. Most Christians believe that uh, that, 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 that it's obviously we turn and we go a different direction. It's obviously important that we go a different direction, but it's the last part. It's the end part of the process, and I'll explain that in a moment. I wrote here, the word repent comes from the New Greek Testament word epistrephal, and it usually is translated into turn or be converted. Literally, it means to turn back and to worship the one and the only true God. Return home. Return back to where you know you need to be. That's what repent literally means. Acts 3.19, this is out of the Passion Translation, tells us, and now you must repent and epistrephal, meaning turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. It's a powerful word. So the Passion Translation's explanation of these words in the scriptures, these words, turn back to God, is telling us that we need to not only repent, but we need to return home to God's grace, to God's goodness, to God's power. The thought of returning to God, this this really is a Hebraic thought. A, A Hebraic thought is a fully formed Jewish cultural tradition. It's one of those Jewish cultural traditions uh, that this, this whole concept of returning is something that they know about, that they celebrate. It's called teshuva. It's this season and this moment in their celebrations. It's a two-week period where they focus on returning back. You left God. You left his ways. It's time to return home. So they really drill down and they focus on that. And this is where we get the Hebrew, Hebrew word shav. And every Jew, I, I, I hope every Jew, should know what this word means. How many knows, knows what, know what the word shav means? What? School? It literally translates into come back to God. It comes from the word tashuva. It's this season, this moment that you have this revelation of how far I am from God and I need to get back. Okay? So it is repent. It is return. But it's more than just a passive changing of one's mind. And that's the problem with repentance is it seems to kind of become this, oh, you mean I just need to try harder? No, it's not the try harder club. It's a revelation that I need to do this. I need to get back. I need to be where I need to be. I need to be home with God. I wrote here, it's a revelation. To understand this revelation is to understand what the word repentance really means. So let's go back to part two of the process, repentance itself. Because without this understanding, we either won't make the turn at all, as in we will eventually just reject Christ, or we'll struggle and struggle and struggle in sustaining that turn. We stay in that cycle because it's being attempted from our minds, from our will, and from our own emotions, okay? So first, let's define the biblical word repentance. You might take some notes here for just a second because this goes kind of deep. The powerful word for repentance comes from the word meta, meaning 
after. And noia, which means to consider, to perceive, to think, or to understand. So when you push these two words together, you compound this word, it becomes the word metanoia, which literally means, this is out of the Strong's Concordance, you can look it up, to think afterwards, to reconsider. In other words, as a person formerly thought one way, this revelation comes and a new and different knowledge or understanding floods their heart, causing them to change one's mind, literally. Totally change the way they're thinking. It comes through a divine revelation. You might be thinking, okay, all right, well, hey, pastor, you know, obviously a person who endeavors to change course or go another way will have a change of mind. That makes sense. So why would you want to make this definition such a big deal? Because I think if you have ears to hear this, if you can really hear what I'm saying, this will radically alter the trajectory of your life. And my prayer in my heart is it will end the sin cycle. Where you can move from that place, you're stuck, you're stuck, you're stuck. You ever feel like you're a hamster on a wheel? Yeah. We can break that today if you can get your head and your heart around this. I wrote here, the biblical meaning of repentance from sin, though including a change of mind, is not referring to some mental exercise, decision, or choice. You're not going to try harder and do your way out of this. It's simply not going to work. You need something before you. Biblical repentance, a change of mind, literally is a result of a revelation, which literally means something has been lifted. Something that once hid behind something has been moved out of the way. It's as if a veil has been lifted. It's as if the curtains have been opened. It's that I was blind and now I see moment. That's what true repentance brings to us. It's a disclosure of truth. This instruction all of a sudden is like, whoa, I didn't know that. And all of a sudden, we know. The word of God says, the truth shall set you free. It says, knowing of the truth is what will set you free. So it's that all of a sudden, that knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, I don't know how I knew, God pulled back the veil, he lifted the curtain, he opened the curtains, but now I know that I know that I know that God has a plan for my life. And it's not to stand here and spin in this mud forever. It's to move on down the road into more of his glory. 2 Corinthians 4.3. 2 Corinthians 4.3, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. There we go. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. That's why people don't get it when you're sharing the gospel with them. Unless they have a revelation, unless the Holy Spirit moves on them, you can share anything you want, but something has to spark that revelation, and we're going to get to that in a moment, because there is something that will spark that divine spark that only God controls. So it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. It is hidden behind a veil. It's hidden behind a veil. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, I wrote here, tells us a veil or a covering came to the heart of man, blinding us to God's truth, blinding us to God's perspective. Listen, all of this started in the fall. In the fall, the garden, when Adam sinned, what happened was, let me just back up a second. It all started when Adam chose, I'll put it this way, his own knowledge of good and evil. When Adam chose 
to violate what God said. He chose his own knowledge of good and evil. And when he did this, his mind, his will, his intellect, all of a sudden took over, gaining ascendancy over his fallen spirit, which at this point, up to this point, had prior had God's life and God's spirit were plugged into him. Because of what Adam did, he was unplugged from that source. And Adam no longer operated in that moment according to and under God's truth, God's logic, but according to his own fallen, carnal, fleshy, natural man. Do you guys, do you guys get that? So at that moment in time, mankind went from being led from their spirit, which was, again, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God's love. They were disconnected, and now they're being led by their souls, by whatever information or emotions were held inside of here and in here. That's one of the biggest challenges when you're preaching the gospel and you're trying to disciple people is Jim Dirk in a gospel outreach wrote a powerful little booklet called Training Your Soul. Our soul is that one part that until we're born again is completely controlling us. It contains our will, our mind, our emotions. It tells us how to think, how to react. A lot of it is based on how we were raised, what shaped our life. Someone who experiences a lot of trauma will act differently than someone who didn't have that kind of trauma. It affected our soul. And those little voices are always speaking to us. And our spirit is just, up, up until we're born again, our, our, we still have a spirit, but it's this little tiny thing. And then when we connect with the Holy Spirit, we had this revelation of how big God is. And Father, I want to get back to Eden. I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to where I am totally plugged into you. And what happens is, is God plugs us in. All of a sudden, that spirit within us goes and begins to tell the soul, soul, stop it. Soul, sit down. David wasn't the first one to do soul talk. Come on. Talk to your soul. Talk to your soul. Tell your soul, we ain't going to go here. You're not going to do it. But it's only by this revelation of how big and how glorious and how amazing God is that we can move forward in all of this. So when you line this all up and you contrast a carnal or fallen natural man, which the word calls us until we're born again, you contrast that to the spirit man. Now, the spirit man is characterized by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And God's word encourages us to be led by our own emotions, our own will, our own soul, God's word says to be led by the Spirit. That's at Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. And then when you turn to James 3, 15, it actually tells us where that knowledge originates, where this worldly, soulish knowledge originates Let's read it, James 3.15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but earthly, it is earthly, sensual, demonic, for for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every every other evil thing are there. It's inside of us. We're born like that. But God sets us free from that. And the problem is, is until we've had that really deep turning revelation we keep going back and listening to that old voice. How many would like to be able to shut that voice down? Yeah. So now we live in this age where unredeemed mankind, our default is to live by and from our soulish knowledge. 
And the scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, you're back to this veil is over our face. We cannot see the truth until we've had a revelation. So since the fall, I wrote here, because of the shift in power from the spirit to the soul and this ensuing veil, we have need of revelation. We have need for the veil to be lifted in order to see, in order to understand God's truth, God's logic, God's love at a really true, deep, heartfelt level. When this revelation occurs, this is repentance. When the Holy Spirit has been able to lift that veil of deception, this gives us a new understanding. It gives us his understanding of our condition. And it gives us the will to recognize Jesus as Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your king? We say that, we say that, but when it really gets down to it and we're offended or personally something happens to us and our soul rises up and begins to respond to it, what happens? We don't do so well, do we? Is Jesus our Lord? Jesus needs to be our Lord. He needs to be our Savior. He needs to be our Master. When all this happens, I wrote, bam. That's a pretty flat bam, isn't it? Bam. Everybody say bam. bam. There you go. We receive faith and the Holy Spirit's empowerment at that moment. And, and at that moment, we begin to see things God's way. We want God's way. We want to go God's way. We're changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we begin to understand his thoughts and know what he wants from us and believe what he says. So the biblical process of repentance runs down the list like this. It starts with remorse. It starts with godly sorrow, that God-intended sorrow that leads us to repentance. And then all of a sudden, this revelation comes where the veil of deception is lifted, which leads us back to repentance, which is we turn back to that very thing that we walked away from. How many of you have ever walked away from God in your life? It's painful, isn't it? It's a long crawl getting back. But you know what I love about the story of, of Moses and the tabernacle? And they're, not the tabernacle, but they're sitting on the mountain, and Moses is getting the, 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 the Ten Commandments, and he comes back, and there's this golden calf. This is where Teshuvah all started, and, and this thought of returning back to God. Here's Moses with the Ten Commandments. A fire. I can only picture the imagery in my mind just of what's going on. And he comes back down, all the people are like, woo. Well, the people weren't happy. We need an idol. We need something we can see and worship. So they make this golden calf. Moses come back and it broke his heart because I think at that moment, Moses felt, I will never reconnect with God again like I was. But God, in his mercy and in his love, says, Moses, come back up here on the mountain. Y'all come on back. God is calling us back to the mountain. God is calling us all back to him and only in his presence, only standing at the foot of the cross, only standing at the foot of Jesus are we gonna get everything that we need to be able to walk this life out victoriously. Does that make sense? So the process, I wrote here, this is the process that we must 
ask for. This is the process that we have to contend for. On Monday nights at intercessory prayer, we're not just a few people in there just praying willy-nilly. We're driving home, man. We're, 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 trying, we're praying for revival. We're pray- and I'm telling you, revival is birthed in prayer. And if you can't make an intercessory prayer, I get that. But if you can pray at home, it's powerful. We need that because that's where it's birthed. We pray enough, they go up to heaven like incense. God's going, that smells really good. Guys, let's go down there and let's do something. And that's what happens. He shows up. But here's the, here's the powerful thing to me. When, when the true gospel of the kingdom is preached, not just, not just some willy-nilly great story that makes people feel good, but when we preach the true gospel, which contains repentance from sin, I think the power of God is released. And the power of God is released in such a way that it breaks the power of deception and it rips the veil off people's eyes. Romans 1.16, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being, are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. The power of God. Just some closing notes. Romans 12.13 reminds us that every believer has been given a measure of faith. You have been given a measure of faith. All of you have been given a measure of faith. It may be uniquely different for each of us, but everyone in this room, if we're born again, we have been given a measure of faith. And when that revelation comes, oh my goodness, it releases the Holy Spirit, which releases power, which activates this measure of faith so that we can see and do what God has called us to do. So in the context of revival, because this is where it all started, I truly believe that this can be a year of revival, but the ball is in our court. But I believe that in this moment, if we can truly lean into repentance and get that revelation of what it means, I believe the power becomes multiplied. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit becomes so prevalent that the spiritual atmosphere, this revelation breaks through the veil of deception even more quickly, and all of a sudden, revelation in essence becomes becomes this, this moment, it's a corporate moment, when the veil is being lifted off entire regions. And I don't want to see us just experience revival. I'm not that selfish. It sounds good, but I want our entire valley and beyond to experience this revelation of the veil being lifted and, man, revival happening. That we should all in the entire valley. I'm, my heart is so grieved at how fractured the church is in, in the Rogue Valley. It started out with 12 men. How did we get to all these other denominations? It's just craziness. But at the end of the day, for that veil to be lifted and everybody to stand there and see God for who he is and say, let's go home. Let's go be with Jesus. Let's do what he wants us to do. Dutch Sheets puts it like this. He says, the Holy Spirit is telling us Revival is coming. He's telling us revelation is coming. And when he tells us revelation is coming, he's telling us repentance is coming. And when he tells us repentance is coming, he's telling us breakthroughs of every kind are coming. Our role and our responsibility is to be on our knees and pray for this very thing to happen. And I believe that as we do, 
I believe that the Holy Spirit, I believe that the angels, everything will respond. And everything will begin to move and shift to where the veil gets ripped off and we really begin to see that I need to go home and be where I need to be. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Nikki, could you just, thank you. I'm not going to beat a drum. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to hook you, I promise. But I really do believe that some of you know that you've been on the outside looking in for too long. And that there are some adjustments that you need to make in your own heart. You, you know that you know that you know that this needs to happen. Don't wait for down the road. If you need to return home, now is the time. Now is the time to return back to that God-intended place that God has for you. To be a, in a place of peace. To be in a place of rest. To be in a place where you're sitting on Daddy's lap comfortable and warm in his presence. You've been away too long. I just pray, Holy Spirit, come right now. And I just ask that you would lift the veil. Father, there, there are eyes in here who have had that veil over it for too long. They try to push it aside once in a while, peek behind the curtain. But Father, I just pray that you would give them an incredible revelation right now of how much you love them. How you've not abandoned them. I've been hearing this word a lot lately for younger people, and this may apply to you, but I really believe that God is speaking right now in this season, in this moment. He is saying, I see you. I see you. You have felt alone. You felt like you've been doing this all by yourself. And God is saying, it doesn't have to be that way. I see you. I see you. So if any of this has resonated in your heart, I, I just want to ask you to come forward because I'd love to pray with you, pray over you, that God would return you to that place that you know you need to be, that place of peace, that place of rest. Don't let pride get in your way. Don't care what anyone else around you is thinking. You just need to do this. It's between you and Jesus. So come on up. If that's you, come. Just come. Just come. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you have felt alone, and that word, I see you, resonates in your heart, I want you to come up, too. Come on up. I see you. I see you. God not only sees you, he wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. He wants to throw his arms around you. He wants you to experience his presence. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
being a nurse. ICU stands for intensive care unit. God wants to do some intensive care uniting to you. That's a good word. Never thought of that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're wanting, if you're needing just a touch from God, just raise your hand where you're at. Just raise your hand where you're at. If you just want God to touch you, yeah, raise your hand. There you go. Look around, guys. You guys can do this. Pray for these folks. Yeah. Madison, you want to come up here? you. I know you love Jesus, and I just pray that you would continue to fall in love with Jesus more and more and more to the point where you would be so excited that you would make following him the call on your life. God has a purpose in your life. The simple version is he wants your life to glorify him, but he has a deeper purpose, and he wants to place in you a passion and the ability to articulate his heart to people unlike you're not comfortable with. <laughs> but the comfort's going to come. It's going to become natural. Can you gals just pray that into her? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. More, Lord. More. More. him but I will put you on the spot just 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 briefly tell what happened at home group the other night all right well Wednesday at home group 
I received prayer for more of the Holy Spirit, and boy, did he show up. <laughs> I mean, they started praying for me, and my heart started, I felt that first, it just started beating so hard and um, big, and then this heat started radiating from within, like I never felt before. And um, I mean, it, I was just overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit in a way of like joy and fire. And um, I couldn't help but to laugh and cry at the same time. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. That's good. And I, and I felt that heat for like a while after that. It didn't right. go away. <laughs> right. And I don't want it to go out. I've thought that um, since just how can I fuel this fire? I don't want it to go out <laughs> ever. <laughs> so it was really powerful and amazing, life-changing actually. <laughs> well, when you walked in and you brought your neighbor with you, I saw how that it only takes a spark. There's an old song, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon it spreads to around. And so I just saw how that spark is beginning in your sphere of influence. Yeah. So I just want to pray into that. Father, I just thank you for this amazing sister. I thank you for the way that your fire has fallen upon her. But Father, it's more than just to tickle her toes or make her feel good. It's for a purpose. And Father, I just pray that she would continue to be that fire. She would continue to be that sign that would make people wonder in her circle of influence. And they would come to her with questions and Father, that she would be able to articulate and speak the words of life to those that come to her. Thank you, God. We just say yes and amen to more, more, more fire, more fire, more fire. How many would like a little more fire in their life? Well, come up here because I'm going to have this sister pray over you. I'm good. She's going to, yeah, okay. More fire, more. If that's you, come on up. Come on up. Just want more fire of his presence. Not that you want goosebumps. You just want fire. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. a precious brother. You are such a gift to this body. You are like a lighthouse on a dark and stormy night. There's a beacon of light and hope that you spread around and it comes out of you because of the presence of Jesus in you. And you know it has nothing to do with you. And I know that wouldn't even be your heart to say, look at me. But at the end of the day, you shine in such a way that I just said people drawn to you because they feel comfortable and they feel safe. Well done, my friend.
they're praying for people up here. Let's remember that. But I just want to close in a quick, quick prayer over you. And Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And Father, I pray that you would continually be creating in us a clean heart. Father, we want to be a people that are totally sold out, totally surrendered to you and to you alone. No hidden agendas. We just want to follow you. Thank you, God. Wow. And Father, I just pray that this week we would have incredible suddenlies where you use us in ways that we can minister to others around us and give them the same hope that we have experienced and we know as well. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And together we all said, amen, amen. If you could help quietly, if you could, with some of the chairs, that would be so awesome. God bless you. Falling in this place 